All right, tonight is May 3rd, 2021, and we are going to give you your 19th installment of the Positivity Wall. Wow. (laughs) I remember when it was nine. Hell, I remember when it was four. 19. Wow. So, yeah, we're going to give you another installment of Positivity Wall. Um, I felt very compelled. I could have easily recorded this tomorrow, but I felt compelled to record it today. And um, I'm going to, in the thinking out loud, I'm going to kind of give you that, the, I'm going to give you the thought process of like what it takes to, to record one of these episodes. And uh, then I'm going to take you into your 19th positivity wall and um, leave you with hopefully a story that I can leave here and just put it down and unpack it and be done with it, carrying it. It's not my way to carry anymore. So, um, you know, like I said, the, these positivity walls have been written for some time. I mean, I completed writing all of them, um, the whole collection, I would say mid-February. I was done. Um, the first 10 episodes were completed uh, literally before I was laid off. <laughs> um, it was just a matter of actually going through and recording them. And the one thing that I've been very proud of myself to say about this. Um, <laughs> if you can't tell by now, as we're winding down, I'm, I'm kind of, it, it's a celebration. It's like, you have to give yourself flowers. I think it's very important um, for someone like myself who doesn't spend enough time um, being kind to my own self, to my own heart. I am learning how to do something that is not normal to me. That is very foreign. And I am, <laughs> I won't say I'm enjoying every minute of it. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but I'm learning to live and love myself even more. And so, uh, you know, the before the episode starts, the episode's already written. So it's a matter of just looking it over and seeing, okay, do I want to add something? Do I feel compelled by something? And here lately I've tried to... Um, correlate the subject of what we're talking about to some story that meant something for me, something that was moving um, and not just really look at this as more of an instructional guide. The positivity wall for me was something that was instructional, but there's certain positivity wall installments that are not. There's certain ones that are instructional and, you know, and then there are other ones that they exist because a certain moment happened to me that kind of changed my life or something that grew me, something that was painful, something that was great. And kind of like what I always have thought, I, I, I know what it is like to be in a sea of depression, to be in a sea of darkness where you feel that you cannot climb out of it, that you feel like there is no light, there is no one who sees you, that everyone who sees you only sees um, the version of you that they like. And it can be very frustrating at times because for you to show them that side of you or to show them all of you, you have to be very transparent. You have to be vulnerable. And we talked in 18 about being vulnerable and free. And I think it's very important to be that. I no longer worry about the friends that are close to me who may know me or may not 
I'm just trying to be the best version of myself possible. If you get to enjoy those beautiful parts in life with me, then you do. If you don't, then you don't. Um, I'm not spending time worrying about how it all looks now. I remember I had a friend, and I'll leave her nameless, because it was a very odd conversation she had with me, because it wasn't really just about feelings. It was more it was more about just like dating and just how and 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 how you approach it. One of the things she said to me, and I was very sensitive about when she said this to me at the time, was that she's like, you know what I appreciate about you? I appreciate your your generosity, how genuine you are, your kindness and your level of care. She's like, but when you are trying to go out there into the dating world or you're trying to find someone and and be with them or to hook up with them or whatever, she's like, you have to think like a conqueror in a way. She's like, you are the hunter and you have to hunt. And she's like, I'm not trying to be weird, but she's like, you have to go on an approach of that. This is what you want and you're going to go take it. And if you go to take it and it doesn't work out for you, then you move on. And that, and, and it was one of the first times that I really, as far as like dating or the thought process of, you know, um, just dealing with women, I had a woman tell me to really talking to me about the abundance mentality, abundance mindset, because that's what it was. It's like, go be yourself and don't regret being yourself, but be all of yourself. And she's like, one of the things that is cute, and I hate when women say that, because basically women are saying like, that's your weakness, all. Um, (laughs) She says, is that you overanalyze every situation. She's like, you don't allow people to even get to know you because you've already figured out how they're going to get close to you and you don't allow them to. And it was something that set with me. I was very sensitive about that because I was like, oh, allow people to get close to me. And I started thinking, I'm like, as I proceed to not let friends get close to me and that when friends step out of turn and say things that they don't know, because unfortunately, (laughs) when you deal with me, there is a full sense of ambiguity where you don't know everything. You're going off your best observations. And um, a lot of times I would push friends out because of it. And I was only reacting to how I grew up in a situations where there were a lot of times I was labeled and branded something that really pissed me off. So when people use certain buzzwords like you're weird or you're emotional, it really, those words set a spark in me and they anger me. Because we're so dismissive of people and we like to label people because it's easy. We love to put people in boxes instead of going, here's something that's different. And I am just amazed and intrigued by your beauty. We live in a world where we all get up and put on the same clothes to go to the same place to pretend to be the same type of person. Stuffing down the beauty that's right in front of us. And I would hope that none of you do that. If you're doing it now, find ways not to. Um, so when I think out loud, I think just about, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed that I'm here. I'm amazed that we are about to go through 19 um, and we're going to get to 20 and we're going to finish this off. And then I'm going to be free to um, just be as creative as I want to be and not really set. I don't like set creativity. <laughs> the hardest part about writing these positivity walls, well, the truth is the hardest part about this series is not the writing it. Writing it was very, very easy for me, just like 
writing poetry. Hardest part is sticking to the format, sticking to you know the segment, sticking to the weekly episodes, not sitting here on a Saturday night and ripping off six episodes and having them. And I didn't do it. I did not do it. I refuse to do it. As many times I said in the past, like, oh, I might record a few more because I was worried about how work would be. But then this great thing happened. Um, everything that I was preparing for in the in this series, everything that I was going through making this series got me prepared to come back to work. Because the greatest thing about when the day is over <laughs> is the day is over for me. I don't give a damn. The greatest thing about working where I work now is they have that same mentality. The way they look at it is, is you put you pick your coat up in the morning, you take that coat off at night, and you leave it. <laughs> you set your notes up for tomorrow, you get back in the morning, you dive in. And for me, that's important because this episode's gonna talk about um some of my overachieving habits. <laughs> um, I seek to be the best. There's something in me that um for lack of better terms i'm i've never uh, i've never gotten to this point where i can really say you know yeah you did it good job and let's just rest <laughs> I, I couldn't i couldn't do it you know i remember when i won my award and that was a very big moment for me how emotional I got and coming back and going through my territory and um, talking with people and just seeing how excited they were for me and how excited I was for myself. And I was just back to the work. When you work in sales, you know, it always continues. There's never a day of rest. And maybe that's what helped to make me the way it was. But it ain't the way I am anymore. I'm... I'm taking the time to really celebrate myself um, and smell the flowers. Um, because like I said, I don't know how much time I have left. None of us do. None of us know. The world is crazy these days. I mean, you can walk into a Walmart and never walk out. <laughs> um, but the biggest thing is, is I've, I've learned to, to take more for myself. I've learned to be selfish in, and I've, I've taken a lot of risk in this time. I, I'm very, I will say I'm proud of myself for that. I'm proud that I've stepped to the line and I've been uncomfortable. <laughs> I've done some things that have made me very uncomfortable, but I love it because it's only pushing me in a direction and it's only going to make me stronger. I have never sought to disturb anyone. I just wanted to be accepted. I came up in a family that everything I did was never good enough. They didn't like what I did. They made me feel like the outcast. And I spent a lot of time alone and as an outcast. And so it's very hard for me to connect to people sometimes when I feel like, what do I bring to your life? Um, and so it's very hard to be my friend um, because the ones who are as closest to me at times, I will let them down. And I've accepted that role. I'm now. I'm no longer going to beat myself up about it. I just don't. It is what it is. If you are in my life and you feel like I'm not doing enough for you, maybe I'm not doing enough for you. Um, I don't seek to have these 
end of the year debts. Like, like I said, when I get to the end of this year, it's not going to be me calling a few people and feeling like I got debts to get off and say, Hey, I wasn't a great friend. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I look, I have difficulty letting people close. Everybody that I let close, you know, and I, I shouldn't say everybody, but most times the people that I've let close have stuck a knife in me really deep. And I'm not one of those people who forgets. <laughs> I'll forgive. I will forgive you. I'll forgive anybody. I believe everyone is worth forgiveness, but I will not forget you. And the forgetting is the hardest part because it's like once you once you put that knife in me, you you just died basically. Because you'll never be able to have that moment with me again. We'll never be what we were. But that moment is done. And I think that's the hardest part about relationships with people is, is that for me, I can see when it's about to be over. And it's really hard. It's really sad. It's like you know you're going to die. Imagine if you knew, okay, six hours I'm going to die. And you're literally having conversations with somebody for the last time because you're not going to talk to them again. <laughs> I have two friends I can think of right now that they they sit in that space. And it was, you know, for both of them at different times, you know, one was early. One was earlier this year. Um. And then the other one was like sometime last year. And the one last year, you know, I, I got that dead off. But I have not made any efforts to to, to do anything. Because the way I, I look at it is when you're a kid, you can have this mystical, magical Disney friendship. But when you become an adult, we all grow apart. We all go into different paths. And I can't walk the walk with you. Spent a lot of time surviving. And um, survival mentalities make you walk a certain way. You tend to push a lot of people away just so you can preserve self. And that's that's part of that thinking out loud today. So we'll give you the positivity wall. 19, next. All right, so... It's another week. It's another time. We're here. Positivity Wall 19. As I talked about in the Thinking Out Loud, we, we talked about giving yourself flowers and being kind, and, and it all kind of works within what we're doing today. I talked about overachieving. I talked about some of the problems. So we're going to give you your, your 19th card of the collection, your Positivity Wall 19. Perfection isn't real. Speak life into your goals. Be kind to yourself, pushing towards your greatness. I'll give you that card one more time, just for those of you in the back. Your positivity wall 19, the card reads as follows. Perfection isn't real. Speak life into your goals. Be kind to yourself, pushing towards your greatness. Yeah. Uh, This one... (laughs) For me, it was crazy when I, I remember the first time I wrote it and I thought, you know, just to give you a little bit before I go into some depressing story and, and tell you about redemption. <laughs> it's kind of the theme here at the positivity wall. <laughs> like, wow. Okay, Jim. Um, 
I thought this was going to be, I thought this was going to end at 19. I really did. I really did. And for, for some time, 19, this was what it was. Cause the truth is I had wrote two more and I put the positivity walls at 21, but I love symmetry. And so I felt like it had to end on an even, it had to end at 20. If it didn't end at 20, it was going to have to go to 30. And I don't have 10 more cards in me. This collection, when you get to the last one at 20, I think 20. <laughs> um, I, I Just the way 20, it, you're walking out on the sunset. That's what's beautiful about 20. Um, so really, when I look at this one, it, this is the last one to actually look back at everything, all the, everything that I've walked up to this point and say to myself, remember, you are more than enough (laughs) and you cannot get fooled by certain things that make you think that you aren't. You have to continue to push. And so when you look by line, line by line, perfection isn't real. That speaks to me constantly pushing to be my best because I was, never the person they wanted. <laughs> um, I didn't say the things they wanted. <laughs> I didn't necessarily react in the ways that they wanted. Um, in the workforce, in life, I was always that odd man out. I always had the odd opinion. And so it kind of set me off into a place where I was always alone. And at first I hated it because I felt like, man, why well, don't have to carry this responsibility? But I didn't feel right sitting with everyone else when I knew I felt wrong. Um, speak life into your goals. This one, this line is important in the way of, for me, if you would have told me to write this positivity wall 10 years ago, I would have talked to you about what I'm doing in five years, what I'm doing in 10 years, what I'm doing in 20. And to be honest with you, <laughs> I think life goals are very, very important. I think the the way companies make you go, tell me how you feel you're going to be in five years. Like, so let's, what do you think? And they're like, oh, well, I'm going to start in this job. And in five years, I want to be somebody's leader. I want to lead a team. And then in, in 10 years, I want to be the divisional chief. Ask me now if I give a damn about that. I'll be 36 in a month. I don't give a damn about that. Has it bring me happiness? <laughs> I can lead a lot of teams. I can help develop a lot of people. And maybe, maybe, maybe I'll work on a company that helps to prep people for interviews. It's just a thought I've always had. I'm really good at interviews. I'm really good at interview and I'm really good at negotiation. And I can prep people on that. Maybe I'll charge a fee. Who knows? Not the point. It's just something that kind of sits in my heart like, that would give me some type of positivity if I did that for people. If I was able to give them that kind of experience, it would make me feel good. But when I look about, when I think about speak life into your goals, the difference at 35 and the difference at 25 would be at 25, I would be telling you that at 35, if I wasn't the head of some department and I wasn't leading certain things, then we'll take in the, the background as the sirens. If, if you hear that, if you do, whoever they're going to get, and we hope that 
they get there in time because man, but uh, to my point of, you know, I would have told you if I wasn't the chief or the the head of something, then I didn't need to be working for that company. And that's kind of true. Cause if, you know, within three years, let me give you a little game real quick. In three years, when you work for a company, if you don't see the progression growth, if you don't see a will or a, a, a chain of succession for yourself, then you either have to go to your superiors and then create an action plan with them, or you have to start movement to getting out of the that company. Companies don't um, develop like they used to. Um, you used to have companies who saw you as an investment and said, okay, we spent 10 grand training you. We don't want to lose that 10 grand. Matter of fact, if we can get you to bring somebody else in, we're taking our investment and now we're doubling and tripling. If we can get you to promote within, we're quadrupling it. And so once people promote within, they become brand advocates, blah, blah, blah. Now the point, once again, speak life into your goals. 10 years ago, it would have been about the work. Now it's, I want to travel. I want to write more. I want to laugh more. I want to live more. Very, very simple goals, but very, very hard to achieve them. The reason why is it requires a mentality that does not give up when things get really murky or uncomfortable. This whole time before I came back to work, it could have been easy for me to stop doing these positivity walls. It could have been easy for me to say, you know what? I tried hard enough. I did this. Hell, uh, a few weeks ago when I asked a woman out that I thought was cool as shit from the sample size that I have, because like I said, you, you only get so much from from when you see people feel like she's very beautiful um cool spirit like i could have been crushed on that like i was crushed in the past like because i didn't have an abundance mentality i had a mentality of like it's all or nothing because in my life i always had to work twice as hard just to get the shittiest result and i got used to that like okay well if 110% wasn't enough, let me ramp it to 210. And then you ramp to 210 and you get a, a slap on the back and you're like, all right, I want the award. Now let me ramp to 310. And I just realized in these last, like, you know, honestly, three to five years, it doesn't fucking matter, man. Losing Lucas was just like this big eye-opening moment because I realized how much of my life I wasn't really in control of. And that the things that I was in control of, I wasn't controlling them. <laughs> I was just letting them run by the wayside because I had given up. I was so focused on the things that I wanted that I didn't appreciate what I had. <laughs> it's really easy to do. Be kind to yourself. That It goes back into that. Taking a moment to smell the flowers, to take and, and look around and see, you know what? I have these amazing you know, friends. I have my amazing life. I have an amazing son. I get to do amazing things. I'm a guy who, who is divorced, who went through a very rough season with that, um, was dropped to the bottom, was in all types of debt, able to walk myself out of that. Debt free. And put myself in a position with investments you know, to, to secure my retirement. 
You know, the last 10 years were very tough. But the reward for me was being able to learn more about myself, being able to grow, being able to be accountable for some of the things that I did that didn't get me what I wanted. And then also being able to learn valuable lessons about where you allocate your funds and the resources of your own heart, pushing towards your greatness. I don't, I don't know what the next 10 years looks like. I don't, I don't know what the next five minutes looks like. But I know I want to do things to help my son be a, a better person. And the time I get to spend with him makes me a better man, father, son, friend, brother. What people don't understand about my son is in, in a few ways, he saved my life. He did. Because he made me remember that if I had forgotten of my will and how strong I could be, if I had forgotten of who I was and why at times where I was in a bad state where I wanted to take my life, but I never could because I was like, you know what? There's so much more. You just got to keep pushing. He reminded me like, there you have a reason to be here and stop looking at 100 people and start looking at one The whole point of really sitting down and going through this series was two reasons. One, this is my legacy. I leave it on audio forever. When the aliens come back, they'll know of this guy named Jemiah Richards. <laughs> they'll know of this guy. And then two, if I could reach one person, they don't ever have to tell me that I resonated with them. They don't ever have to tell me one of these episodes made sense to them. But if one of these episodes actually helped them get through a very tough time, if one of these episodes stopped somebody from taking their own life, then I've done my fucking job. And I don't need awards. I don't need money. That right there would have been me pushing towards my greatness. So, remember, none of us are without fault. But as I said before, control your controllables. There are times where we have the ability to control certain things, and we are so focused on what someone else has that we can't even control our own ship. You are the, you are the captain of your ship. You control your happiness. But if you're so focused on, oh, man, that person looks happy over there, you're never going to see your own happiness. You control your emotions. You are the master of your emotions. Yeah, there are people who are going to try you. Yeah, there are people who are going to try to take you out of your rhythm. But you got to commit yourself to yourself. And you got to say to yourself, "That's I'm doing this because I love myself. If you think that they're going to come around and they're going to say to you, you know what? <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> I messed up. <laughs> Going to be waiting on that for a long time. You can't wait for people to tell you that you're right. You got to push towards what you know. You got to stand tall even when you're afraid. This whole last four or five months, has been very scary for me. 
and in a in, in this small way, I haven't really jumped off the map with my actions. I haven't. I'm not like you're not seeing me in the club, bottle full of bub. <laughs> you ain't saying that. The point is, it's like I've taken steps to put myself first. I've had very, <laughs> very, very interesting conversations with close people and I've watched them be pissed off at me, but I don't give a shit because they didn't have to sit with me when I was doing all this stuff and taking care of what they needed and running myself into the ground. I decided to choose me. I choose joy. I choose me. I demand my slice of happiness. So how do you celebrate those small victories? How do you remind yourself to go smell those flowers? <laughs> you just, you, you got to say to yourself like, hey, this is, this is beautiful. This is this. Like the coolest thing about where I'm at, like Ryan started soccer uh, last Saturday um, and it was his first game. And I was so nervous for him because um, he was going up to the the regulation size field. Like, you know, last year, last three, four years, he's played on like a smaller, you know, now he's playing on regulation style field, like real net. Like, this is real. And thinking like he's the baby in the group. Like, it's this is nine to 11. And there are a lot of 11-year-olds. <laughs> And I'm seeing these kids, and they're, like, tall, you know. Um, and he goes out there, and they start him off as a goalie. And he's playing, doing his thing. And his teammates kind of, they don't defend the way they need to, and a ball squirts in. And I see him get up, and he kind of, he was like, man. I could see he was a little frustrated, but he sucked it up. And he went back to business. The beauty in that is a year ago, like I should say a year ago, but I should say in the fall, in the fall when he played, when he was goalie, it was a very stressful. I don't really like when he plays goalie. It's very stressful. One, his mom used to be a goalie. And so she gets stressed and then it makes me stressed. But then it's like he cares so much. He doesn't want to let his teammates down. He doesn't want to let his parents down. He doesn't want to let anyone down. He wants to win. And so it's nervy, but in just a short six months, my son would go from like, I remember he was playing a game where similar, similar circumstances, teammates didn't defend the, 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 you know, the four got around and scored on him barely just in the, in the tucked it in into the right corner. Same way this goal happened on Saturday. And he literally like had a meltdown. Like he cried. He had to. He had to. His teammates had to kind of console him. And this Saturday, he just was. He looked at his teammates and he was like, "We'll get him." And I looked at him. I said, "You all right?" And he said, "I'm all right." And <laughs> it was like halftime comes, and he's like, "I want to be a Ford." Spent the rest of the game as a Ford. It's crazy. Wish this game was on tape, but my GoPro was acting up. <laughs> and it's literally the last five minutes of the game. Gets a breakaway, comes around the corner, shoots, almost tucks it right into the left corner. Just drizzles by. 
And I was, it was crazy because I was like, oh, I, I was like, I, you just get into it because you want them to do, you want them to do well. You're there for them. And then I'm telling him because the field's bigger. So I'm not as close to him where I can give instructions. And I, and I call him, I'm screaming his name. And I normally don't do this because I feel like on game day, I get to be dad. And I don't try to coach him. I'm screaming his name, right. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. And he looks at me and I said, move, move to the center. And I'm telling him, move to the center. He moves to the center, they kick a corner, corner kick in, ball squirts in right to his feet, puts it in the back of the net, jumping up and down. I told him, I said, trust me. <laughs> so then three minutes later, one of his other teammates scored the goal. They ended up winning the game. Goes from one nothing, one one, two one. Whole point of that story, I get to gloat as a proud dad makes my heart full just to see him happy, just to see him. A nine-year-old um, in six months was able to face adversity that put him on his knees, had him cry in tears to the point where I thought they were going to have to pull him out and sub him because he, he couldn't, you know, even when they got him back up, he was still kind of crying and kind of moping. And like I told his mom, you know, we're just going to let him figure this out. You know, and after the game, when he came off, um, you know, I said, hey, what happened? He said, I got really emotional. And he said, it was hard for me, Dad, because I cared. And I didn't, I didn't want to let my teammates down. He said, but we stuck in together. And I, in that game, they end up tying. He went forward. He scored a goal. He tied the game. And he was like, I wanted to win that game so bad. And I'm so mad at myself for it. And I told him, I said, don't be. I said, there's going to be times where you lose. But the biggest thing is you are the master of your emotions. Imagine if you could have controlled your emotions better. Maybe you win the game. And I see this nine-year-old go, gets a goal scored on him, two minutes when the game starts, spends most of the game down by a goal, ties it up with like 10 minutes left, helps um, give the assist to the teammate that scores the goal to win it. And it's a different – in the span of literally five minutes, a game goes from we're not going to win it to we're winning it. Adversity is all around us. But my son, I tell you, he amazes me because at 35, there are moments that I want to happen really bad. Like I want this person to say yes, and they don't. And then I can feel like, oh, man. But he gave me the strength. He doesn't even realize he gave me the strength to have an abundance mindset, to realize, like, if I don't succeed here, I will succeed somewhere else. If somebody doesn't like this, who cares? I wish y'all could hear him talk sometimes because this kid's like he's been here before. He'll be telling me stuff like, yeah, these kids, they want to pick on me. But he's like, you know what? I'll go make other friends. I don't care. A nine-year-old's willing to stand in his own two shoes and, and, and be himself. I ran from who I was for so long because so many people told me that's not who I was supposed to be. That at times I would get really mad at myself and be like, how stupid were you? How dumb were you? Well, that's that be kind to yourself. That's that third stanza. We are not here to judge ourselves of what we were yesterday. We are here to uplift ourselves to what will be today. To push ourselves to what we will be tomorrow. A nine-year-old amazes me. He amazes me because 
I see myself in him. But all the good before the world turned me a bit cold. I know pain, so I bust my ass to make sure he doesn't have to feel it the way I did. And he thrives. He thrives. And that is the work that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to thrive. I'm not just trying to survive anymore, you know, let alone just being black in America and having to survive and having these survival instincts. Maybe my son, by me, you know, teaching him certain things, maybe he can bridge the gap. Maybe these kids in his generation can bridge the gap and stop the stupidity that we're living in. Because hate is just is just dumb to me. But we're still here. <laughs> we're still here for some reason. How do you speak life into your goals? You keep going after them. The list. I have a list of things that I've been doing for the last seven years. And every year, I cross off things and I add things. Like I talked about earlier in this series, I've been wanting a digital SLR for probably five years. <laughs> in a pandemic, unemployed, I'm like, hell, I'll spend $2,700. Why not? <laughs> Wife's about taking risk. Took me a long time to realize that as the cautious person, as the person who likes to keep things clean and, and organized. Because it ain't about perfection. I'm not going to attain it. I'm not going to touch it. I believed for a long time that if I was as close to perfect, they would accept me. And damn near, sometimes I was close to perfect. And they never accepted me. They never gave me the praise that I deserved. And then I sought their validation. I kicked over chairs. I kicked over tables. I made them look me in the eye and tell me that I was good enough. And it didn't matter because I didn't feel like I was because they had already taken from me something that they had no right to grasp. And that was my, my own self-worth. <laughs> Be kind to yourself, people. I say it to you because I spent a lot of years not being kind to myself. A lot of years blaming myself for things that were not my fault. Meanwhile, the things that I could control, the things that were in my hands, in my grasp, I was letting them fall to the wayside because this doesn't matter. Why should I be kind to myself when the world isn't being kind to me? Because it all starts with you. If you're sitting at home and you feel like there's not a soul in the world that gives a damn about you, hey, I'm a soul and I give a damn about you. We may never meet, you may never talk to me, but I give a damn about you because I know what it's like to be in darkness. I know what it's like to sit in a room for hours in the dark and wonder, <laughs> if I wasn't here, would it be easier? How would that look? How would it look when people found out I was dead? I went through all these simulations in my mind. Like, you know, would they, would they really care? Would it matter? They just go back to work. Who would be the ones that cry? Who would be the ones that I didn't know cared and it really was emotional to them? And who were the ones that I thought cared, who wouldn't give a shit? And then I realized I spent a lot of time thinking up these fake scenarios and I see why I have anxiety. <laughs>
<laughs> you can't push towards your greatness if you're stuck in this false reality. I don't care what they have to say about me. I don't care what they think. I don't. I care about that nine-year-old. I care about seeing him smile. I care about seeing him grow. I care because through a nine-year-old, I learn a lot more about myself, about the things that I stuffed away, the things that I compartmentalized. And he gives me the strength to face it. I remember when... um I used to shave my head a lot, just, you know, I would cut it all off and I would never really grow my hair out. And he wanted to do it. It was one time he did it. And I was like, no, you look like a cancer patient. And he just wanted to be like his dad. And so I was like, well, I want to be like you. And I started growing my hair. out. I started putting product in my hair. I started trying different hairstyles. A lot of people said it was stupid. Had people who didn't like it. I didn't give a damn. My parents, both my parents hated hate it when I grow my hair long. And I don't give a damn. And it's funny, I remember my dad was talking to him one day, they were FaceTiming each other, and he likes to call my, because my dad has shaved his head now, and he's, he'll call him Crystal Ball. And he's like, you're just mad because you can't grow hair like me and my dad, and you know, it's cool. <laughs> um, the one thing my dad said to him that really got me um, emotional was he said, you know, I remember your dad, you know, he used to keep his hair low and he used to cut it. He's like, you know, he had you and now he's trying different things. And he he said, um, he said, Ryan, I love you. Grandpa loves you. And I thank you because he said, your dad, he, he's a good man. Um, but he's so hard on himself sometimes. He said, he won't listen to me. He won't listen to me about being kinder to himself. He said, but he said, he listens to you. And um, (laughs) sometimes I've only known how to go forward. Have you ever dealt with a situation where you knew if you stopped, the pain would set in? that you just had to keep moving. That's how I look at surviving. A lot of painful things have happened to me. A lot of people have been mean and a lot of people have left me to die. But because I would not stop and I kept moving, I would not, you couldn't get rid of me. And my son was the first person to be able to stop me in my tracks, to remind me of the beauty within me. And so I've had to face a lot of things in these last seven years that I never thought I would have to face. And I do it because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I do it because I want to be able to teach and and stand on those teachings and not be full of shit, as sometimes parents are. Parents do that because they project their fears. But I love talking to him because I talk to him just like I would talk to any of my friends, minus some curse words. But when I have to curse, I give him the context and he understands. He is the greatest gift that I've ever been given in this life. He makes me better. And so I, you know, a lot of times we we talk about the why as I'm getting ready to go there. And it's usually him. I gave you an episode kind of of him. (laughs) So as we get ready to to call to close and, and to give you the why, 
I'll leave you one last story just from me. Yeah. So, yes, um, you know, I... I had to give I had to give my son the the credit he deserves and and to give him his flowers before I give you my my why of why I did that <laughs> I'll leave this for you Ryan There is a series of poems that I've been writing since you've been a little boy and I will continue writing them until you become a grown man. I remember I felt very compelled to write them to you because sometimes I didn't feel like I had the strength to tell you. Um, I just, I didn't want to be overly emotional. Um, You're a kid and you're a strong kid. And sometimes (laughs) you look at me like dad, Get your emotions in check. I'm telling you, this kid, he'll look at me sometimes and I'll get emotional and he's like, okay, dad, <laughs> why, are you, why are you getting sad here? Why are you getting emotional? And uh, it has to bring me back into reality. Um, but man, I've... I remember when I was telling your mom or his mom about me writing these poems and she was like, why, really? And, and I literally read one. She was like, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Write him, write him up until he's 18 on his 18th birthday. Give him, give him every one of the poems. I was like, really? She was like, yeah. She's like, why not? She's like, well, you know? And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. I remember one of the first poems. Well, it wasn't really a poem, but it was like a, a letter I wrote. It was probably. I think Ryan was, she was carrying him. It was like her, her eighth month. And um, we were getting the baby book together, getting ready to, to have him. And I remember writing a letter saying, you know, as your dad, I will do everything I can to protect you, everything I can to protect our family, to show you the love that I at times never received. Um, I will not always have the capacity to be the best but with your wisdom and with your guidance, you will lead me to greatness. And I wrote that, and then I was like, I just started writing all kinds of things to him. Not going to share those poems. They're very special. Um, but maybe maybe one day I'll, I'll share them. I just think that, uh, you know, I, I saved him, and he'll always have the ability to get him. Uh, <laughs> He really is um, the greatest gift that I've ever been given. And I dedicate this positivity wall to him because without him, I don't know if I would have been able to make it through the last seven years. Um, Definitely the last three that were very critical and tough. Um, His strength, his resilience reminded me of of what I should be pushing towards instead of worrying about what I I don't have. So that's to you, right? As far as what is my why I had to have the strength. I had to have the resiliency of myself to, 
to, to say I wanted more, to seek abundance. The why is not, not trying to preach from a pulpit, not trying to be one of those parents who um, was telling my son the way to go because that's what you should do <laughs> instead, but being real. I had to stand and literally, you know, say, hey, I'm the adult here. There's times that we're going to have conversations. We're going to, um, you know, speak. We're going to figure out this process together. But then there's some times where I have to put my foot down and we move this way. But I will always hear your voice. I will always listen to you. Because what I expect you to do for me, I will do for you. But there's times where the parental override will come in and we have to make a decision for the well-being of you. And he's like, okay, I understand. We talk about all kinds of things. I'm very glad that I didn't choose the way my parents decided to raise me. Like I said before, don't follow my mom. My mom raised off of a pattern of fear. I don't want my young boy being dead. And I, like I said, I get it. All these kids, all these black kids are getting killed before they even reach their 18th birthday. I understand very well why my mom raised me that way. And I have my fear for my son. As he's going to get into his teenage years, I'm going to have a very big fear for him. But I'm going to walk beside him and I'm going to help him understand what he has to do to be aware and to be smart and move in a way that possibly gives him the best possible means of life and prosperity. The why is because you can spend your life caging a bird, (laughs) but birds are not meant to be caged, people. They want to fly. And I spent my life being caged. And then when I got out and I was able to travel and do stuff, I ran to the cage. (laughs) I'll leave you with this funny story. I remember one of my first work trips, I took it like 19 People were going out and, and hanging out, and I was, like, in my hotel room, like, watching football. And I remember, like, <laughs> someone came to my room and was like, hey, we're going out. You want to go somewhere? I was like, oh, I mean, I guess I can go if y'all want me to. It's like, yeah, we want you to go. Like, All right, cool. Where are we going to go? They're like, oh, we're going to go to this bar. I was like, I can't go to the bar. I'm not 21. They're like, oh, yeah. Well, um, you can go in, but you just can't drink. I was like, nah, I don't want to. I don't want to burden you. I don't want to bother you. I'll just stay here. When you leave a bird in a cage so long, it only knows its cage. It's always going to go back to the cage. I had to give myself flowers to remind myself. I once was a person who would travel with a company, giving money, giving a corporate card, and stay in the hotel room. <laughs> I once was a person who would go to bed at eight, nine o'clock at night. Sometimes partly because. I roll with my teammate, and sometimes partly because I didn't. I don't like to cause too much trouble, but I just started taking the risk and started saying, you know what, I want to experience things. That's what it's about. The why is the constant push toward my greatness. That if what I'm doing right now is good enough for me, it, it can't be good enough for me tomorrow. So I got to make it better. I got to do better. And I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to do my best. I will do my best. You know. 
I think back and and then, like I said, there's so many, so many stories I could, I could tell you just about moments that made me feel like I was by myself or that I was alone and I didn't know what to, to do. And I was thinking about a great man and I, I would be crazy if I didn't talk about him in in this episode. I've already talked about my son, who means the world to me. I'm going to talk about my um, my son's grandfather, uh, my ex-wife's dad, John. And I've talked about him before. I think I've talked about, you know, one of the greatest quotes he's ever given me is that you're not alone. You're lonely. Pain is not your story. It was one of the greatest uh, things that I was told in a time, in a season of depression, he really helped me get through it <laughs> without doing anything reckless or stupid. Uh, but I want to talk about a moment in which just to highlight, um, you know, perfection isn't real. Speak life into your goals. Be kind to yourself, pushing toward your greatness. Those four stanza, this story embodies every part of it. I remember when I lost my um, job with with a company years ago. Ryan was Ryan had just turned what one? It's probably about like twelve twelve months in a day <laughs> old. <laughs> yeah, so like a year and a, and a day old. Lost my job, so I'm at home. And my father-in-law at the time, he had lost his job too. And so here we are, two men whose wives are not happy with him because neither one of us have a job. And we're both getting on our computers every day, applying for jobs that are beneath our qualifications and our scope. Basically, we're overqualified for. And we're taking calls and interviews with these people, these companies that tell you on the phone, like, hey, you're overqualified for this job. We... We don't need to give this to you. You need to go do great things. It's like, I need a job. Like, my wife is going to kill me. And, of course, his marriage um, has lasted for, for um, I think, 40 years now, pushing 40 years. Of course, you know, me losing my job and, and all that was the erosion of mine. So it was stark contrast of what the ending place would be. But the beauty of it was we would sit home and – <laughs> I remember <laughs> this one day in particular. Um, it was like Ryan was in a diaper, and John and I were just in our underwear, and we were filling out jobs. And Ryan's running around; he has a phone to his ear, and he's you know kind of looking like us because kids emulate, you know, they imitate, you know, adults. And we were laughing, and we were talking about like, man, we need to get a job. Our wives are tired of this. Like, I don't know, I'm gonna be on the side of the road. And the crazy thing is, is like we were so stressed about it. And I don't think he was as stressed as I was, but we were stressed. And then we both got a job within like three or four days apart in May. It was like two months later, boom, we both had jobs. And at the time, I was not fully immersed in those moments. I look back on it and I was, I just, today I kick myself about it because I was so worried about getting a job that I didn't enjoy the moments that I had of peace, of time with family, of a rest. 
So when, when, when people ask me about like the layoff that I dealt with and, and how the last four months were for me, the hardest part about the layoff was there were two things. One, when my mom took her fall, I, I had to, there's a lot more that I have to do for my mom now. So it requires me to have a brain in two households. It's not easy. If any of you are caregiving or are in a way taking care, it, it's tough. You never feel like you have enough time to yourself. But here I am still pushing, still doing what I need to do, still trying to find my happiness, even though I'm having to take care of things for my mom. I refuse to allow that situation to stop me. And then the other part is, the hardest part is, I really love my teammates and I miss them dearly. I miss doing great work with them. I miss, and I miss the stores. I miss those people I have relationships with. I miss them. And I knew to do, I knew when I, when this day was going to come that I was going to have to walk away from it. And the hardest part that some people don't understand is like, you can just close that door. I had to, because someone's going to come behind me and you're going to, and it wouldn't be fair to them if you always look for me. It's like if you break up with somebody, if you have that ex that you have a lot of history with, you feel inclined to give them more chances. I'm not an ex because you got rid of me. I'm an ex because they got rid of me. But it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I have no right to stand in the way of someone else's opportunity. And that opportunity served me well. It's time for it to go. But damn it, don't I miss my friends. Damn it, don't I miss working with them every day. Because I don't miss them because we talk every day. (laughs) I just miss being all together. I miss the stores, man. And it was hard for me the first week I went back to work because I was, I just wasn't feeling it. Like, you know, every company has the rah-rah stuff and they're trying to indoctrinate you and, and with the propaganda. And I'm just like, man, F all this. Bump all this, man. I need my teammates. And I, it was tough. But I didn't stop. I kept pushing. I wouldn't give up because I understood where I was supposed to go. I was prepared for this moment because... <laughs> nine, eight, nine years ago, I went through a really bad moment. I lost the job. And then subsequently, six months later, I I lost the the whole realm of how my marriage was. That was it. You know, yeah, it was on life support for probably a good six more months after that. But it was pretty much in that moment, it was done. And I just tried to put it on a ventilator. (laughs) Didn't work, of course. But that moment was one of the key moments to me because I was so stressed and I was so sad. I was so beaten up about letting my family down and what was Ryan going to think of me? Ryan, I don't even remember that. <laughs> but that's what us men do. That's what fathers do. Hell, there are mothers who do it too, who beat themselves up because they're like, man, I don't want my kid to think I'm a failure. Man, I don't want my kid. And now I could I could sit here and tell you, you're going to lose jobs. You're going to have companies fire you. You're going to have companies lay you off. Who gives a fuck? Life is not about a fucking corporation. It ain't about the company you work for. And that's the greatest lesson I needed to learn. It was one of the greatest lessons I needed to learn because I waited to leave the nest of where I was raised. And I clung to work because I was never allowed to be me. So me socially, who was that? But I know who I could be in a work setting. I know what I was for the workforce. And people start praising you. People start liking you. So you're like, okay, great, great. And you're building your self-worth off of a company. And so when they blow it up, it blew up my heart. 
And I needed that. Because, boy, if that did not happen, but would I not? I wouldn't have made it through the last four months. I wouldn't have made it through it. And, and <laughs> the last <laughs> the last eight have been tough. Lose a grandmother. You know, having to watch my mom deal with losing her mom. But we have to be strong. We have to help take care of it. We, there's a lot of bullshit that went on that me and my mom, we talk about because of the pain we went through and that. But we don't, we don't come out publicly and talk about it. To seeing my mom fall, to having to see, you know, deal with that, to see her going to hospital, see her going to rehab. COVID times, you don't get to just visit people, to being laid off, <laughs> to going, wow, these people that I love, they're gone. And so I say all that, I give you all that to go. The why is the now. Every moment that you have, even if it's not the way you wanted it to go, enjoy it. Live for it because you don't know when that moment will be over. I didn't enjoy that moment when I had it, but I look back on that memory and I smile about it now. But I learned a very valuable lesson. Okay. And I didn't learn it. I didn't learn it well enough. I knew I knew about it enough when we lost Lucas. But the thing the, the, the thing that Lucas, his death did for me was, it was the first start of me hiding. I stopped hiding. I started to just come out of my closet and my shell and say, these are the emotions that I have. This is how I feel. If you think I'm weird, whatever. If you think I'm not strong enough, whatever. If I'm not black enough, whatever. Fuck it. It gave me the strength to be who I needed to be. It finally gave me my wings. So I had to go through a lot to get to this point today. And we still learning and we still pushing towards my greatness. So please push towards yours. If you hear anything this episode, please push towards your greatness. You are so worth it. And we need you to do that. Because we need the inspiration. We all need to be inspired to grasp for the stars. We get one shot to do this, people. So go fucking take those stars. And so, as I call to close (laughs) on another episode, we have one left. We have one left. I fucking did it. I'm fucking proud of me. And I can't believe we'll do it. And we'll record it next week. And it will be amazing. And then we'll go on to do fun and happy other things. This has been a hell of a ride. And um, like I said, push towards your greatness, people. And so no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, remember, no matter what, remember, you are amazing. You are beautiful. You are loved. Yeah. I would like to take the time to thank you for joining this jam talk for today. That's it. That's the end. There's no, nothing else to say. Go back to your, your regularly scheduled program. Chew knows it. <laughs>